Good morning. Good morning. Thank you, hometown band, for leading us in worship. My name is Timothy Roundtree. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity Church. And it's always an honor to get to come before the people I love and just teach God's Word, to pour in and see what uh, just God has in store for us. And I'm always uh, just excited to get in this room. I'm excited to hear y'all sing about the risen Savior. I'm excited just to be a part of y'all's life. And it's always, I'm always thankful um, uh, that you allow me to do that. Uh, I don't know exactly where this week finds you. I pray that this week finds you well. I don't know if you're coming in here um, just strutting at, at the top of a mountain, um, ready to proclaim glory and joy, or if you're, you're limping into Sunday needing a refuge and a Savior. Um, the, the beautiful thing about our faith and our truth is that no matter where you find yourself, whether at that mountaintop or in that valley or anywhere in between, we serve a Savior that's going to meet you where you are. So I'm excited uh, to dive in. I'm excited to just study God's Word with God's people. This week, we're going to get back into Genesis. We're going to land in Genesis 16 and 17. If you want to turn there now, we're going to jump in in a little bit. We're going to read uh, 16, 1 through 10, and then we're going to break through um, the rest of those passages. Jamin did an amazing job last week uh, of walking us through the Abrahamic covenant, of, of establishing um, some pillars of our faith, some, some truth in our gospel. Um, I wasn't here last week. I really did miss you. Um, uh, I was at a conference in San Marcos. Uh, with a, a work-related conference, um, and it just felt weird not waking up Sunday morning and being with you guys, and uh, I've come accustomed to just uh, communing, uh, the biblical community, the, the worship, the singing, the planning, the hugs, the high fives, all of that is part of my weekly routine, and I've, I've genuinely felt off this week just because I didn't start my week um, with the Trinity Church family, so I'm really excited to be back. I'm always thankful that we have Jamin who can step up and bring God's Word in such a passionate and truthful manner, but what he did is he established the Abrahamic Covenant, which is really uh, important. It's not just history or biblical history. It's, it's the story of our gospel. Um, I, while I was podcasting Jamin this week, he said something that really resonated with me. He said that if we can get this right, if we can understand this covenant, a lot of what we hold truth to our faith kind of gets in line, meaning that through this covenant, Christ or God is building out his story of redemption, that we don't serve a God of happenstance. We don't serve a God of, of accident or fate, we serve a God of will and power and sovereign grace, that he is saying ever since Adam and Eve were forced out of the garden into exile, ever since they took that first step out of the garden of Eden, he's been planning to bring us back home into that garden. And last week, Jamin established a pivotal point of that plan where God said, I'm going to make a nation through you, Abraham. I'm going to make a covenant with you, Abraham. I'm going to walk through this life establishing my truth through you and through your lineage there will be a blessing. I'm I'm going to bless you, I'm going to bless your family, and through those blessings, I'm going to bless the world. And that blessing of the world he's talking about is Christ, our risen Savior. So there's so much truth in, in Genesis 15 that Jamin walked us through, and I want us to always be aware of the beauty of Scripture, the totality of Scripture. There is a reason we are starting in Genesis. We didn't just happenstance there. We didn't just uh, pull out uh, our Bibles and put our finger where. We wanted this church to always understand the totality of Scripture, that these aren't individual books just crammed together randomly, but this is a fluid story of redemption from a sovereign God explaining uh, the truth of his 
his gospel, the truth of his son, and in turn, showing us a road to redemption, showing us salvation through atonement. I want us to be able to know truth. I want us to be able to proclaim truth. And I want us to be able to fight lies. And that's really the power of what the Bible brings us. Uh, Chandler, uh, uh, Matt Chandler, uh, uh, pastor of the Village Church, has a beautiful quote that I'm going to butcher because I forgot to write it down. But the gist of it, he says, if you are not completely secure in the authority and the word of God's uh, written uh, Bible, uh, then you're going to be a slave to just what sounds true. And I think too many times in our life, when it comes to our faith, our beliefs, we are just down to whatever sounds true. And a lot of times what sounds true flies in the face of the true gospel. And I want us to always be able to proclaim truth. I want us to understand our faith because I deeply believe that if you understand your faith, you will proclaim your faith. And that if you don't understand your faith and you're unsure about your faith, you're going to keep quiet when it's actually time to step into space. Well, it's actually time to say, I know truth, and I know someone that needs truth, and you, you have that confidence, you have that understanding. That doesn't mean you have to be a theologian. It just means you have to understand the gospel. It means you have to, be able to proclaim that gospel and teach that gospel, because I don't want us to be people who enjoy just getting in the same room and singing. I want us to be people that enjoy that singing because we understand that truth, and we're going to walk through our life proclaiming that truth to all that can hear this week we're going to see that God's timing is perfect, that his plan is perfect. That we serve a God who is a, a beautifully sovereign and not just about a results-only person. We, we have a lot of people in our lives in 2019 that are results-based people. They just want the, the end some game. That's not the God we serve. He is faithful throughout the process. We're going to see the process of, of, of Sari and Hagar and, and Abraham and how between these two reaffirming covenants in, in Genesis 15, he, he establishes the covenant. In Genesis 17, he reaffirms the covenant. In Genesis 16, things get a little messy. And that despite how messy we get in our brokenness, we have, a, we have a God that comes alongside us and says, my love will reign through it. So right now we're going to jump through Genesis 16, 1 through 10. If you want to stand, it's going to be up behind me. I'm going to read Genesis 16, 1 through 10. Just forewarn you, some of these pronouns trip me up, man. I've been working at this for like two days. So just show me some grace. I feel like some of the, con like ESV, man, it comes at you hard. <laughs> you laugh, you hold on. And at any point I just sit down, that's when Jamin stands up. <laughs> now Sari, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sari said to Abraham, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go to my servant, it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sari. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Cana, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the, Egyptians, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her, to Abram as her, her, gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. Verse 4. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And she saw that she had conceived, and she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me by on you, I give my servant to the embrace, and that when she saw that she had conceived, she looked down on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. Verse 7. The angel of the Lord found her by the spring of water in the wilderness in the spring on the way to Shur. And he said to Hagar, the servant of Sarai, where, are, where do you come from, and where are you going? 
She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sari. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring and that they cannot be numbered for their multitude. Amen. You may be seated. Let me pray over us. God, thank you for today. Thank you for just being a God that comes where we are and finds us where we need and walks us to your presence and your will and your glory. God, I'm thankful for the honor we have just to be able to, to, to break open your written word, to dive in and pour over the truth that is your gospel, the truth that is your message. God, I pray that the Spirit would come into this room and that the Spirit would move. God, I pray that for the next few minutes we would, we would focus solely on your word, that we would dive in and, and learn your truth so we could apply your truth. I say all this in your name. Amen. All right, so here's the plan. Normally, um, we break down uh, smaller passages, and we're going to walk through them word by word, but we have a lot to cover today. So I'm going to break down what I just read, and then we're going to push through into chapter 17, because there's some beautiful truth, but just for, for time's sake, we're not going to read them. I highly encourage you um, to break open the, the Word of God this week and, and reaffirm what we learned today and, and go over it and, and teach it, because there's some truths here um, that point to, to a beautiful future, a beautiful Savior that's going to come and, and die on the cross and and rise again for, for our salvation and for our atonement. So let's just start in chapter 16. So we see Sarah, Abraham's wife. To her, she's Sari at this point. And there's a lot of cultural context that we have to understand to really uh, understand the importance of this story and, and the main themes of this story. But she is the tribal leader's wife at this point. So Abram is a big deal. Abram has been blessed by God time and time again. So his possessions have grown. His, his people have grown. His servants have grown. His livestock have has grown. He's a very wealthy, wealthy person in, in this region. He's a tribal leader, and by her being his first wife, and we're going to see he's his first, but not Abraham's last in this, in this passage, um, but as being his first wife, uh, she is like the first lady of the tribe of Abraham right now. She, she's a big deal. She holds a lot of respect, uh, a lot of honor in that position, but she finds herself not being able to bear him any kids. And, and for Sarah, this is, a, or Sari, this is a, a proclamation of failure in her mind. She understands um, that she holds some respect because who she is married to. But at this time, in this land, in this culture, um, you are who you can birth. Um, and, and through your lineage, um, your possessions are handed down. Through your lineage, um, your honor is ha passed down through, how, through, through name and, and, and through uh, just a rite of passage of inheritance. So all these things that they're gathering up are a beautiful uh, uh, time for them in their life right now. But in the back of their mind, they know it's all foolhardy because they have no one to give this to that has their name. They have no one to give this to that actually can pass on their lineage. And, and she gets desperate. She understands that a nation has been promised to her, but that that is not in her sight right now. All she knows is that she believes the Lord has closed her, her womb and that she knows that Abraham is going to be the father of a large nation, but she's not 100% sure that she's going to be the mother of a large nation. And in a desperate attempt to kind of speed up the process, to speed up the fulfillment, she offers Abram, her, her Egyptian uh, servant, Hagar. So remember they went through Egypt. Uh, Sarah was beautiful. Uh, Pharaoh tried to uh, betroth her, but then found out she was actually betrothed to Abram. And then there was this big, oh, why would you do this? It's honor to me. And then he blesses her. That's where Hagar came from. So she knows... Um, 
that she can't fulfill what she believes to be her wifely duties, and she's hoping that Hagar will be able to. And in culture and tribal uh, importance, um, Hagar's child would still be able to be claimed by Seri. So Hagar could be a surrogate mother um, for whatever child comes out, but the first wife, uh, the, the preeminent tribal leader's wife, could still claim a birthright of that child and, and assert uh, to that level. So Hagar will become a wife of Abram, but she will fall under uh, the stair step of Seri. So she's thinking, hey, it's not what I want, but it's better than nothing. It's not what I had in mind. It's not my plan for my life. But I can get this ball rolling, and we can make the best of a bad situation. So ushers in this plan with Abram. And you see, the first mistake Abram makes in this passage is going along with it. Because Abraham has had the promise and the covenant and, and the, the, the fulfillment promised by God to, to build a nation uh, from his his lineage, and he understands the right way to do things. He's been called faithful and righteous, but he also understands the pain of not having a child. Because as we see all this fulfillment, we know how this story ends, but if you get yourself in the first person of Abraham or Seri, you see all these promises and you see nothing moving. So uh, him and, and Hagar lay together, and she conceives and she instantly uh, looks down upon Sarah when she does conceive. She knows that I have fulfilled my womanly right that you couldn't. And yes, we are both his wife now, and there is a pecking order. And you may be the tribal leader's first wife, but I'm the tribal leader's wife that actually is pregnant. And there's this, there's this tension. There's this drama. Uh, because when broken people try to thwart the will of God and the plan of God, we always mess it up. There's not a scenario where God lays out his will and his plan. We change change it with our brokenness and it works out well. There's always devastation, there's always tears, and there's always brokenness. And there's such a, a, a hatred here that Abram has to remind her, hey, she's your problem, deal with her. And in complete brokenness and honest selfishness, she deals with her so harshly that Hagar takes her and her unborn child and flees to the desert. This desert is a path to Egypt. She's trying to get home. But this desert's also a death sentence. You don't have a, a wife and an unborn child in this time make it through the desert alive. But she's thinking, whatever is in front of me has to be better than what's behind me because that's how bad it is. It doesn't go into detail of what that actually had. I don't know what Sari did to her, but it was enough to drive her into the desert. So you see that Sarah come back to Abraham and it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's almost laughable because you have this moment of, you laid with Hagar and you have him saying, you told me to lay with Hagar and you're like, yeah, but you weren't supposed to say yes. It's, it's, it's the quintessential, do these jeans make me look fat? It's a trap game, bro. You don't step into the trap game. You do not say, there's no good answer. The answer is, you're beautiful. But what about these jeans? I don't care about these jeans. You're beautiful. Because the reality of, hey, does this dress make me look big? Or these jeans make me look big? Or, hey, am I really as bald as I think? And you're like, no. You shake your head. You're not bald. Whatever that is, what I'm actually asking is affirmation and love and encouragement. That's what I'm asking. I don't care crap about this dress. I don't care crap about my hair. I know you married me when I was going bald. You knew how this was going to end up. <laughs> Why are you laughing? But what I'm really asking you is affirmation. I need to know that I am valued. I need to know that I'm cared for. And it has nothing to do with the actual topic at hand. This is. I'm giving you some pearls, by the way. If you're taking notes, this is when you write down. It has nothing to do with the jeans. It has nothing to do with the dress. It wants to know that my value is tied to you and something so much deeper than surface level. But Abraham falls into that trap game and actually lays with Hagar because he's worried too. He's selfish too and he's scared too. 
He's been promised something that he can't foresee. He's been promised something that he can't fathom because you can't build a nation from nothing unless you're a sovereign God. So she, there's this argument of, hey, you, you, you did what I told you to, but you didn't do what I want. You, you didn't do what I needed. You did, you did what I want. I needed love. I needed affirmation. And now we have drama, and now we have sin, and we, we have brokenness. And they thwarted God's plan, which is the definition of sin. They put their desires and their timetables in lieu of God's desires and God's timetables, which is the definition of sin. And, and you have Hagar flee. Then you have um, the, 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 the Lord. You have the, the, the Spirit of the Lord come and find Hagar and, and, and find unborn Ishmael. And in, in a really weird and hard text to preach, they say, you need to go back. And it doesn't say go back and I'm going to make it better. It doesn't say go back and everything's going to be cool. It says go back and submit. And that's really hard for us to fathom in 2019 where we want equality, we want fairness, we want everything to be the way uh, of ease, ease and comfort. This, the, the presence of the Lord says go back and submit. And that's the Lord saying, hey, you do have some hardships ahead of you, but it's for your betterment. Because you stay out in the desert, you die, you go back and deal with some hardships and you live, and I'm going to bless your child. I'm going to bless Ishmael. I'm going to make him a multitude of nations. And, and don't confuse that blessing with the fact that this plan is still the basis of sin. It's, it's idolatry. It's saying, I want what I want now, and it's more important than the will of God. And understand this, we don't have time to completely break this down, but we never sin in a vacuum. We never sin in an isolated manner that doesn't affect others. This plan right now is still going to fruition in the Middle East. We don't have time to break down lineages, but you have Isaac and you have Ishmael. And it says right now, they're going to be at war for the rest of their life. They're going to be at war in the rest of our lives. You can see all throughout the, uh, the nation of Israel uh, spanning um, what we know to the nation of Israel now. And through the tribes and the lineage of Ishmael, you have everything that's not Jewish. And everything that's not Jewish is at war with everything that is Jewish. And that's still happening right now because of the plan that was made here. So he goes back and, and Ishmael is born. And, and you see just other brokenness and drama in chapter 16. And it would be easy and reasonable for chapter 17 for God to come back to Abraham and say, You had one job and it was to be faithful. And instead, you've made now two nations that are going to fight until I call y'all home. You had one job, but to be faithful and, and to just trust me that I know what I'm doing. And instead of that, you now have the birth of division in the Middle East for our entire lifetime. They've been at war. They will always be at war. And it has affected every person on this planet because of this plan right now. It would be easy in chapter 17 for God to say, on to the next. Abraham, let's wipe the slain. I'm going to find someone new, right? No, but we have a God of love and understanding. So what we see in chapter 17 is a reaffirmation of the covenant made in chapter 15. We, we see him say, hey, not only am I going to, to reaffirm my covenant with you, I'm going to make a nation out of you, I'm going to make a multitude out of you, I'm going to change your name, and then I'm going to give you a marking. I'm going to give a marking on your body. You're going to be a people of circumcision. On the eighth day of your birth of, of all the nation of Israel, you're going to circumcise your, your males. Uh, you're also going to retroactively uh, circumcise all your people so that when you are giving life, which is the, the act of consummation or, or, or sex, 
when you are giving life and, and there's beauty in, in that process, you're always going to think of my covenant and that how my love, my covenant is actually going to give eternal life. There's going to be a marking. There's going to be an understanding that you are my people and no one will ever doubt or question that because of what's being uh, promised here today. And there's this reaffirming beauty of love that we see from God because it would have been so easy to just hit the reset button and say, I'll find another guy who's a little more faithful, who's going to at least follow my plan for one chapter in the book of Genesis. And, but no, you see this God say, I am going to bless Ishmael, I'm going to promise you Isaac, and I'm going to keep my covenant with Isaac while blessing your, your offshoots. And so either way, Abraham is going to be the father uh, of many nations. Abram becomes Abraham. Sari becomes Sarah. He changes their name and gives them new marching orders. And God says, I'm going to bless you. You're going to multiply. And through Isaac, uh, it doesn't say this, but we know this, that through Isaac we have David, and through David we have Christ, and through Christ we have salvation. So in the wake of treachery, bad plans, sinfulness, and idolatry, we have a God and a Savior who steps in and says, I'm still going to love you through this. There will be consequences. There's absolutely going to be consequences. We, you're going to be at war forever until God calls uh, us home, until God makes a, a new Jerusalem and a new Zion but you're still going to have my promises. You're still going to have my covenant. And then chapter 17 ends with uh, Abraham walking through his people and, and a mass uh, circumcision of all his males so they would understand the promise of God. They would understand the faithfulness of God. And it's, it's important for us to see the faithfulness and the time put in uh, to Abraham's righteousness. When this first breaks out, Abraham is 75 years old. When Ishmael is born and Hagar and all this plan comes in, he's 85 to 86 years old. When this covenant of circumcision comes out, he's 99 years old. And when Isaac is born, he's 100. So from the time he's told that a nation is going to come from his lineage to the time he actually has an heir to the will of God is 25 years. I don't like to wait for slow Wi-Fi. I don't like um, I don't like fast food if it's not fast enough. I don't like a line at Chipotle. I don't like when my Netflix won't load. And this is a promise that's going to change everything. And he had to wait 25 years just to see the beginning. Abraham dies never seeing the nation of Israel. Abraham dies never seeing what Israel becomes. He never sees the temple. He never sees uh, the fruition of Christ on the cross through the lineage of his loins. He never sees any of that. He just faithfully walks in God's plan, understanding that there is a time and a place for him. He's going to walk faithfully in it, and the rest is up to God. So there's a lot that just happened. There's a lot that we could break down. There's a lot about timing and planning and sinning in a vacuum and how our sin affects everyone and everyone we care about. Um, there's a lot that we could unpack but for the sake of time, I really want us to land on where my heart lands when I read through this passage, and that's identity. Our identity is everything. It was um, in the writings of Genesis 16, and it is in 
2019. Identity is where we find our value. Identity is where we find our security. Um, and I'm not talking about your, your legal God-given name, and I'm not talking about your social security. I'm saying who you identify yourself as, where you cling to as what is your mantra, what is uh, your your um tied identity as far as what makes you you will follow you through the rest of your life will will uh force you into make the decisions that you're going to make and it will it will drastically affect how you follow the will of god because the world and the culture puts a lot of influence on who we must be what we must say and what we must do to be valued we see that just in like where do you live where do you geographically live are you, are you tied to the identity of, I live in Oak Cliff, or, or in the manner you live? There's, there's a lot of people who take a lot of pride just geographically where they're from. Are you a Texan? Are you, are you a North Oak Cliff, South Oak Cliff? I, I, are you local, or are you not local? Are you, I only eat food that comes from two streets plus or minus from my house. I'm as local as it gets. Or, or are you like just praying the day Oak Cliff gets a target? Some of you are here. Some of you are planning to pick at the target, and some of you are like secretly going to be in line to get in first. And y'all need to rectify that. Like, I'm not going to call you out, but I know exactly who you are. But what's your look? What's your vibe? I, vibes are important to me. Uh, look is important to me. I, I dress with a lot of intentionality. I don't do a lot of just throw it on, whatever. I remember growing up where I grew up, and I grew up in a place very similar to Oak Cliff. There's just no coffee shops or gentrification, so it's really just South Oak Cliff. Um, but I grew up in a place where, like, if you were, all, were you professional and you were about that, and you you were a professional, like, all business kind of dude, then you that top button was always top button. And you still see that today. Like, that, that is my, I don't know why, that, people ask me all the time, why is your top button? But I don't know. And why do I have two chains on all the time? Because that's who I am. I'm two-chain Tim. Like, that's just how I was, like, that, that, that's, that's in me. That's part of my vibe. Uh, my wife's openly laughing behind me. She's like, stop sharing. Just get to your point. What school did you go to? I went to this school or that school. Um, uh, what kind of family do you have? I have this big family. My family's about this. We're all organic. We're all about oils. No, my family, my kid leaves chicken nuggets from McDonald's and he loves it and get all my business. Um, what, what are you about? Um, because the identity to what we tie ourselves is also tied to our decisions. It's tied to our, uh, our security. And, and we yearn for meaningful identity. We, we yearn to be deeply loved. We see that in Sarah and Hagar because they have the same problem then as we do now. They're, they suffered from misplaced identity. They identified their worth and their value with the children they could bore. They, they, they identified that they were of value to Abraham or to value of God solely dependent on if they could have kids. And that's something that resonates with us. That's something that resonates with me because you see Sarah say, I am nothing without a child. You see Hagar say, I am everything because of this child. And it's both lies. Both of these scenarios are lies drummed up by Satan. I've spent a majority of my adult life pining for a child. I think uh, one of the more, more affirming things that why I am the lead pastor of Trinity Church is because me and my wife spent the better part of a decade yearning for a kid that never came. And to be honest with you, that's the pastor y'all needed when I came on. You needed someone that didn't just say, hey, I hope you get pregnant at some point. Good luck with it. You need a pastor to say, yeah, you can't read uh, Psalms 139 in my Bible because it's, it's tear-soaked. You're not going to be able to read it. You just know it pops open. 
And the beauty of us knowing real identity and real truth is that I can look at Hagar and Sarai and say, that's not a dumb person being stupid. That's a human being human. That's somebody saying that the culture around me has told me lies. I'm living in that culture, so I'm believing those lies, and I don't know up from down. I don't know north from south, because all I know is my value is tied to, can I bore, can I, can I get pregnant? Can I, can, I, can I have a child? And the beautiful thing about the gospel is it undermines anything that gives you identity apart from Christ. Anything that you say is my identity, anything that you say this is where I find myself, that's apart from the Christ, apart from the, 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 the cross and the empty tomb, the gospel completely undermines, whether it be supremacy, whether it be what school you want to, whether it be your family, your look, your vibe, your, your whatever you do that you think makes you you, outside of Christ, the gospel destroys if you actually believe in the true gospel and you let, it, you let it permeate in your life, you let it dig into your bones and be in your marrow, then everything that says this is who you are outside of I'm Timothy Roundtree, a child of God, is I'm Timothy Roundtree, fill in the blank for a lie. Because all there is is I'm a child of God. Now, it's okay to have the other stuff. It's okay to want to live in a safe home and have a particular look and go to a school. But the second you take value and worth from that, Satan is ready to destroy you. And Satan can package this up in a biblical manner. There is identity inside the church that sounds Christian and sounds biblical, but it is way to destroy you. I go to this kind of church. I go to this prominent church. I, I, I podcast this pastor. I went to this school. I went to this camp. I read this book. And all of those things in themselves aren't evil. But the second you identify yourself as that kind of Christian instead of a Christian that follows the cross of Christ, what Satan is doing is giving you enough religion to hang yourself. He's given you just enough to be dangerous because the reality of our truth and our freedom comes that do you claim to be a son of the risen God or not? That is your sole identity. Your identity has been bought, bought for and purchased at a high price. And like I said, I don't know if you're at a mountaintop or a valley. I don't know where today finds you. But I know that whether you're, if, whether you're on the mountaintop or you're, you're in the valley, if your identity is, is attached to Christ and Christ alone, there is hope and peace. I was uh, at a conference last weekend. Um, it was the Texas SWAT conference. So yeah, uh, I, I have the honor of being a, a SWAT operator in, in this, uh, this area of Texas. And we had our conference, and you can imagine the machismo there is in this conference. I saw three separate push-up competitions break out in complete organic fashion. It was not set up. It was not orchestrated. It was clearly two dudes that got talking about push-ups and said, bro, bro, bro. And yes, I was the smallest person in the room. My protein wasn't where it should be. And I'm just walking around with my Trinity Churchill Cliff hoodie just trying to not bump into anyone bigger than me. But anyways, it, it, it's easy to find our identity in that. Like, there's a lot of security. There's a lot of training. There's a lot of status. You tell somebody, I'm on the SWAT team, you already get that, like, brah, you're cool. You're like, nah, not really. Um, uh, and it's easy for us to fall into that trap. And we have so many traps like that in our life. And as I was studying this, so uh, Jamin taught last week, so it gave me another week to prepare. So a lot of this was already on my mind last weekend. And the beautiful thing about a sovereign God that has a sense of humor is he will give you teaching lessons when you don't want them. And a teaching lesson I had was I'm at this conference and just proud as I could be. I got my greens on. I got my boots. I'm looking good, like just flat out arrogant 
like, who wants a push-up contest? Let's do this. Um, I'm joking. I'm not that, uh, that amped up, but I really was like, you know what? I've, I've accomplished something. And uh, within, like, 12 hours of me thinking, hey, I've actually made it. I'm actually Mr. Cool Dude. Um, I got the sickest I've ever been in my entire life. Like, I don't want to get graphic because that's going to change the whole vibe of today. But it was the sickest I've ever been in my life. <laughs> Period. And I went from who wants a push-up competition to no exaggeration, crawling to my bed because I didn't have the strength to walk. Um, to the point of, I'm in San Marcos, which is not San Marcos for me anymore. I'll never go to that town again. No offense, whoever's listening, it's just, it's just a lot of pain there. Um, going to this, I'm barely, I can't move. Like, I can't crawl. I had to get help into bed from a friend. That's how sick I'd gotten. Um, and I laid in bed in cold sweats laughing, only because that's all you can do when you're thinking, like, you just got done studying how quickly a false identity can be ripped from you when you have a misplaced identity, and that your true identity is Christ, and you went from walking around thinking you're super cool in your SWAT uniform, to now there's puke everywhere on that SWAT uniform. You may want to leave it in San Marcos, and your buddy just helped you get into bed, and you're going to stay there for 20 hours. And I thought to myself, this is the definition of misplaced identity getting stripped from you. And that's what Satan wants. Satan wants you to attach yourself to something that's not Christ. Because he knows if you attach yourself to Christ, you can never be shaken. But if you attach yourself to something he can tear away, he can do it and watch you crumble. And there is so much freedom in our identity in Christ. Galatians says, for freedom I set you free. That doesn't mean there's ease or comfort in that freedom. It means it's freedom. It means that I don't have to worry about the pains of this world. Not that they're not going to affect me, but that I have attached myself to the cross so I know my worth and I know my value. And you would be shocked what you can accomplish when your value and your worth is already bought and paid for it and cannot be touched. Because that's ultimately what we want. That's ultimately what Sarah and Hagar and Abraham want. It's easy for us to look at these passages and say, all you have to do is wait 26 years and you're going to see your first kid. What's the deal? I know how it works out. You're going to have Isaac. It's going to go pretty weird for a little bit. Jamin has a doozy for y'all next week. And then, um, like, you know, fast forward a few hundred years, there's Christ on the cross. What, all you got to do, Abraham, is just be a cool dude. And the reality for us is uh, we have plans and, and laid for us, and, and we don't want to wait a day. We don't want to wait an hour. I, we, we, tried to have our, we tried to have Asher for six years. And I remember, like, the idea of birth announcements. I wanted to punch everybody in the face. Everyone was like, hey, we're pregnant. You're like, cool, kicking the shins. Uh, hey, this is happening, and this is happening. And you're, it, it just came to, like, break me. And you're just like, the will of God has either forgotten me or messed up. So I very much relate with this. But if you had to tell me six years ago, if you just wait six years and you get Asher Thomas Roundtree, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have batted an eye because I don't want anything different than him. But I'm not God, and I didn't know that. I didn't know God was bestowing a, a two-and-a-half-foot version of myself to constantly test me so he can go around walking like he's just earned that championship belt that he's never fought for. Um, but the idea that my best friend now is three is the best, best version of my life. But the idea, well, I would have just taken anything. I would have taken a, a hobo's baby off the street if you would have just looked the wrong way. That sounds creepy, but every one of you been there. And they said, like, you want, you're at Target, you're walking around, she's not only looking at her baby. Like, every, don't judge me. Don't judge me in my pain. I have a savior that meets me where I'm at. And that was at some really creepy spots. I never took a kid. Everybody relax. God, you make one joke about kidnapping, everybody wants to turn on you. 
But the truth is, his sovereign plan and his sovereign grace is all I ever needed. But it is so hard for us to see that when our identity is attached to lies. I pray that no matter where you're at, whether you're in the valley or on the mountaintop, that your identity is secure in Christ, so your peace is secured with Christ. Your value is secured with Christ, and your love is secured with Christ. Thank you for the opportunity just to teach and love on you guys. Let me pray over us, and we're going to sing a little more. God, thank you for today. Thank you for clearly setting out an identity for us, and thank you for establishing a gospel that breaks and destroys false identity, that breaks and destroys anything that would, that would sound kind of true, but just be lies. God, I pray that this room is loved on and that this week finds them well. I pray that this week finds them attached to the cross and nothing else. I pray all things in your name. Amen.